0: Thanks for listening to the Drummer's Weekly Groovecast. You can contact the show at twitter.com forward slash dwgroovecast and through Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Groovecast. Good evening. I am warning you, right now, if you touch my drums, I will stab you in the neck with a knife. Ain't a fucking... Ain't a fucking... Mom!
1: Lower it. I'm not gonna lower it! I have to do this now! I don't
2: Won't
0: mind explaining do it, but it. lower it! You well, gonna get go straight out? out? No, we had a problem. I mean, uh, we tried to do everything we could. What do you mean? Well, you know what I mean. Next! Little trouble there. You're rushing. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs>
1: John, this is another one of those special occasions, man. This is one of these very special shows. It's true. You've got the Facts of Life, very special edition, the Different Strokes, kid touching edition. And then you got this. Did you say kid touching? Yeah, don't you remember that when little Oliver or whatever his name was uh, on Different Strokes? I don't want to go down this path. That's (laughs) disgusting.
0: Come on, man.
1: Hey, listen, man. There's all kind of inferences these people can make regarding this subject, and we're going to debunk them all today. Uh, uh, You told me before we started to be witty, to have fun with it.
0: I didn't say be creepy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. But anyway, yeah, this is a very special edition. I'm going to draw a parallel with this show to one that we did in the past few months. You know, we did a special edition where we had some of our bass player friends in here. Remember, we call it the bassist's perspective. Mm -hmm. And we're going to kind of draw a similar conclusion with our show today with our special guest. And before you start introing this special guest, I want to throw something out there before we ever start. And I don't want this to go... I don't want this to be brushed under the rug... This is the first guest we've ever had on the show that well prior to him showing up, he sent us his own outline of what he wanted to talk about. You
0: got to love that. Can
1: you say overachiever or overachiever, Mm. man? Hey, look,
0: man. Mm. From... The laziest of lazy people you know I could get used to this.
1: <laughs> I'm t- man, I'm just gonna sit back with my hands folded and let this guy talk for an hour. why well, works for me. I'm telling you man. So you know no reflection future guests. you know who you are coming up, but I'm gonna expect get it an together. Out- I'm gonna ex- expect an outline in my inbox about two weeks prior to you guys showing up. <laughs> I-, I could get used to this, you know?
0: It was nice.
1: John, why don't you tell all of our listeners who we have here in the studio today and what we've got in store for them?
0: All right. Well, today we have a good friend of mine who I've worked with a number of times. His name is Mike O'Brien. Mike is a uh, worship leader, producer, and um, in recent years, he's become a worship team coach and helping a lot of people to really get their music experience in church together and believe me there's plenty of people that have no clue so the likes of this fella showing people the ropes is going to improve a lot of people's worship experience dramatically um anyway i've worked with mike in the uh you know as as a producer he has hired me on occasion it's always been a, a really great experience. A little back on him, he has a BA in jazz guitar from Kennesaw State and a Master of Worship Studies from the Robert Weber Institute. So we're talking uh, someone who might read that article you mentioned in our previous show and mm-hmm. I like take to, exception to certain things here. You know?
1: I like to call that pedigree, sir.
0: Even if it's just the investment he made financially, you might take exception <laughs> to that article. <laughs> But uh, anyway, um, he's served as a music minister in the local church for about twenty years now, and there's probably not a scenario he hasn't come up against, and is going to have some great insight to that. As as you're probably figuring out, we're going to touch on uh, the the real, uh, you know, and true. Uh, situations that are presented to a lot of working players now, and that is church music has become a big part of a working player's uh, schedule and and opportunities that are presented with that. So, um, you know, as a producer, Mike has recorded hundreds of albums. He has a studio space called Lucko Sound. He's also uh, oftentimes picks fabulous spaces outside of his to record drums in, which I... Always appreciate. He loves tape. Oh, yeah. How about that? Warmth. Cream them levels and get some sounds to die for. Just absolutely. It's probably because he's a guitar player and he gets to do that with his guitars. But I know from the drum perspective. Explore the room. Yes. Saturate the tape. Um, And uh, he's done a lot of live recordings for vineyard churches, like on a national level. Uh, And uh, I've been a part of of some of those and they've always been really great. And the thing I love about it is, you're a, uh, a, a great uh, shepherd of, of songs in that particular group of people. I think there's a really talented group of people that are writing songs that really resonated with me and that they're, um, you know, it's not, I didn't get the impression that was like chasing trends or anything, it's some real heartfelt oftentimes kind of organic and more rootsy uh, type stuff that I think I I encourage people to really dig into. I I hear a lot of people complain about some of the sameness or the, again, trend-chasing, you know, boxed-in sort of commercial sound. Well, here is a resource I encourage people to look into, the Vineyard catalog. There's just a lot of great stuff, and Mike is a huge part of the success and just the – the the choosing of that quality material so um check that out uh the the thing that he's currently involved in now he's been traveling the country and teaching mentoring and coaching musicians in fa- faith communities and in university settings uh how to bring that worship experience to another level a genuine level and i know Having worked with him, I know these workshops and this this uh, new venture that he's involved in is going to bring great things to the, to the faith community. And I, I highly encourage you to look into what he's doing. Um, and the, the best way to do that, he has a, a, a website, and his webpage is themikeo.com. That's T-H-E-M-I-K-E-O dot com. That having been said, um, welcome, Mike. We really appreciate you being a part of the show. Thank you so much.
2: Fellas, thanks for having me. All right, It's an
0: honor to be here.
1: Mike, I don't want to usurp your intro, but let me just sure. say one quick thing, about, or actually two quick things about this. One, John, don't think it's lost upon me that you made up for your lack of introduction on the Basis Perspective podcast with that gem of an intro that you just did there.
0: Mm. Well, I mean, part of it is you didn't handcuff me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hence the this slow. My
0: poor friend yeah. Joe Rita got a two-sentence intro, and then he <laughs> talks hilarious. about his buddy Ramon for like an hour and a half.
1: And, and, and then, hence the slow golf clap. And then the other thing.
0: <laughs> John, spoken complete sentences <laughs> with minimal uhs.
1: The, the other thing is this, is that. One, I didn't listen to anything you said during that. Hence, my fit of brilliance that I have about once a year. Once a year, the title of this show we could call it "Everything You Wanted to Know About Church, But Were Afraid to
0: Ask." All right. Mm. Oh, wow. well, nonetheless, Mike. Mike. Yes, I, I almost forgot you were here. Welcome, <laughs>
1: Gentle, gentlemen. It's an honor to be oh, here, man. Thank you for coming out, yeah, Mike. Absolutely. We appreciate it, man.
2: Love the podcast. Thank you, sir.
1: Thank you. Now, Mike, like I mentioned earlier. You being the overachiever that you are, uh, you sent us this deliciously detailed outline of things that, that we can talk about. And you even included a few little nuggets of trivia at the beginning mm. that it is some of these are absolutely not gonna get slipped past <laughs> by me. So the <laughs> the first thing, you gotta you gotta detail us on this little nugget of information that While you were studying jazz and leading in church, you were also playing in a death and or black metal band. Yes, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about this contradiction of terms.
2: I'm I'm forty one now and you guys are, you know, a couple years older than me. Mm -hmm. So my influences in my life I grew up, you know, Van Halen was the, was the deal, and then Metallica, and then I started listening to this uh, Georgia Tech radio station here in Atlanta called Wreckage oh, on yeah. Friday night. Mm-hmm. So I became a metalhead, you know? And you know, Nirvana, that was my, that whole Nirvana, mm-hmm. Metallica, all that stuff. So I became a metalhead and just started playing in heavy, heavy bands through high school and then through college. And so I'd be studying jazz, and then just, you know, praying to God that my teacher didn't find out that I was a metal guy. <laughs> so I had my archtop guitar, and then I had a blood red BC Rich guitar. Oh, And I had... That speaks uh, to my childhood. I had my <laughs> my $99 uh, KNG tux, and I had my pleather pants. Nice. And I literally went in and out. So there was a day, somewhere in, in the mid-late 90s, that... On Saturday morning, I played the Abbey, which turned into a restaurant, but it yes, used to be a. I remember. It's like an old cathedral that had weddings. So I, I played jazz that morning and then uh, went and changed and got into the car and went to Athens to this club called The Lunch Paper, which was this old, dirty, misfits. It was in the middle of Athens. It was the only gritty club. And, uh, you know, it was like 18 square feet <laughs> and, uh, you know, two bass drums. Two kick drums and you know the, you you know you know the gig, and uh, did that on Saturday night and played till you know three a.m. Yeah. and then drove to church and led worship at the Vineyard. <laughs> <That's> so awesome <laughs> that morning and that night I probably played bass for a you know a pop band or something. You know it was just a a really fun time to be making music in such a wide variety of venues and ways and it all felt natural to me none of it felt disingenuous or strange or a joke it was just the reality of how i was making music in that time
0: just a broad <laughs> you know interest and yeah blessed to be able to practice that yeah that's to cool
1: out. you know along that same lines there's another little juicy nugget that mm. says that while you are on a church worship team tour You had hired a devout Satanist to to go. By the way, it's also a good time to say that Mike is looking for new career opportunities right
2: now. It's also a good time to say that wasn't me.
0: Yeah. Mm. Okay. Just want to make that clear. Well, yeah,
2: over the years, uh, you know, I'm a part of the vineyard churches. And the vineyard churches, uh, uh, some argue or could say that they were. A huge catalyst in the way church is done now at least in the in the contemporary church of drum sets and bass amps and basically rock and roll happening at church Um, and uh, so I'm part of that vineyard movement and there's all kinds of crazy characters yeah. <laughs> in the Vineyard movement. And it was a it was a kind of church where I went to it was jeans and t shirts and flip flops and you just kind of came as you were in the mid nineties, which was wasn't as common as it is now. Mm-hmm. So I started making music within that context, and uh, you depending on who your pastor was at the time, he might he or she might allow you to uh, hire whoever you wanted to for your band. <laughs> <laughs> or bring in any there wasn't a uh a sin police you know manual that you had to follow so i just you really were
0: the catalyst for modern <laughs> modern church gigs so
2: uh i just kind of you know the people that i knew my friends and the the network i had so so yeah there was a guy who who at the time uh you know, that that was his proclamation was mm. I'm almost I'm a Satanist, but he played with the team and I don't even think we hired him. I think he just we were all young. We were all early twenties and he just yeah. got in the van and played some played some gig and he was very, very kind and there was you know, there was funny conversations and we would we would say how crazy it was and you know, it was all good. It was fun.
0: That's a great story. <laughs> So is he still a devout satanist? i
2: don't know I don't, he's not in my Facebook feed. I, don't know. I was just not.
0: making sure everybody realized again that wasn't me.
2: Oh, John, <laughs> yes. well, I thought John was a satanist when he wouldn't play tambourine on my uh, the album. I hired. I hired a professional drummer, the first professional yeah. drummer mm-hmm. I ever hired. nervous. this is you know or mid 2000s early 2000s young producer. Um, I ask around, you know, where are some professional drummers? How do you hire a professional drummer? I've only been working with my friends. And I got John's number and, you know, nervously called him. He was mm-hmm. the first pro musician <laughs> I, ever, I ever talked to uh, on the phone. And, uh, and uh, you know, I thought for sure a pro drummer would bring tambourines to the session and, and shakers and all kinds of stuff. And sure enough, John didn't bring any of that stuff.
0: No percussion. That's, that's for percussionists. Mm. You I, want it done right. No percussion. I, I, I so much believe in your product, your, your project, that I didn't want to ruin it with poor tambourine playing. I'm, I was thinking mm-hmm. about your future, Mike.
2: Well, I learned how to play it myself. Anyway.
0: I did you another favor. You're saving money mm. by way of my indifference.
2: Yeah, it inspired me. I bought a hundred and ninety dollar
0: tambourine. Oh, right. Whoa. <laughs> what is it? Gold plated?
2: Uh, no, but it's got two different kinds of jingles. Not like a yeah, like a bronze and a and a silver. Yeah, it's like a hybrid. It. Yeah, it's really sexy. Yes.
1: Yeah. Nice. It, it either has the name Grover or Black Swamp on it, I'm going to say.
2: No, it's uh, Von Kraft. Von Kraft. Von okay. Kraft, yeah. Yeah. I think they're out of business now, right? Or they
1: Because they sold $190
2: tambourines. <laughs> yeah, that would explain it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they were I, like in that solid shell business, I think. Yes, they? they were. I bought pretty it pretty at stuff. Forks. It was the yeah. first
2: time I ever went to Forks. Mm-hmm. And That's I walked dangerous. in and I saw a wall of tambourines. I mean, they yeah. literally had like 58 tambourines, and none of them were under. A hundred bucks, you know, it was was a crazy experience. I had no
0: idea. That place is crazy, no doubt. Well, look, I'm sorry. Um, If it's any consolation, I Mm -hmm. still don't do that. Mm. Sorry.
2: I forgive you. Christian love, I forgive you. There's grace for you. <laughs> Any other nuggets?
1: Oh well, he even put. I like the one thing he put on here about we might want to leave all the air quotes bitching for the end of the uh, <laughs> for the end of the podcast. I don't know so, what he's talking about. <laughs> well, uh, he Mike unwittingly opened up the floodgates for mm. me to ask all of my friends uh, who always wanted to ask questions of people with no potential ramifications mm. coming back on them. You know what I mean, as far as like some of the different things regarding church. But with that, it said, we are going to save that for the for the end. Uh, Mike, like I said, he wrote out this comprehensive outline. So I, I'm all, I'm very tempted just to like hand the ball to him and let him run through the line. Don't be
2: tempted. Do you it.
1: know and let him do. Well, his let me thing. just say
2: this. I think your podcast is incredible. I love I'm not a drummer. Um, I'm a producer, so I can hit a drum one at a time, and I can sometimes tune them and listen to them. But um, so I love your podcast. I love how practical you guys get. When I heard the the ride cymbal, a whole <laughs> hour and a half on ride cymbals, I just thought, wow, this is so practical, geeks, <laughs> and so good. And my wheels just got turning. I thought, man, you know, as a as a worship leader, as somebody that um, helps the church uh, and helps people that all gather together. You know, part of my role is to put together musicians and help people experience God, help them to be formed and created by something. And that something is uh, in the story that they're singing about. Um, it's an altogether different kind of gig than, than all kinds of gigs as we'll, we'll talk about. But so I just think practically, I love how practically you guys think as working drummers, Um, And in the church world, in the modern church world, the drummer and the drum set are kind of at this central place. Um, And I just love that. I love the idea that um, if there's a church of 50 people down the road that are all getting together, there's a drum set in there. And there's one drum set. There's probably one kick drum and one snare drum and one drummer this weekend. And at the big fat mega church with 10,000 people, there's one drummer. There's one drum set and there's one kick drum, um, maybe two drum depending on how hipster they're they're going, right. <laughs> or grateful to I don't know whatever the trend is, but but it's such a influential and important seat in the house, and uh, I just love thinking about it. I love thinking about how important that is. So as a as a worship pastor and a music uh, music director over the years, I've realized the importance of that. So I love the way you guys think and the way you guys talk about uh, drums and drum sets and drumming. Um, And then now that I've, past year and a half, I've spent my time traveling. So I was in one church for 18 years, Mm -hmm. every Easter, every Christmas, every special event, every wedding. Um, And then the past year and a half, I've been in about 50 to 60 churches traveling teaching training so i'm going in over the weekend i'm spending time with the band and once again i'm recognizing that important seat the drum seat the drum set the value of music now in the modern church is a really big deal so i just the reason why i came so prepared and was so interested in it is that i just i didn't want to miss the opportunity it kind of work with you guys and kind of talk through this, not for my scene and for what, for your scene of mm-hmm. um, working drummers and guys that are trying to figure this, this lifestyle out in this career. Um, I think the church might have uh, an important role or, you know, faith communities or, or anything kind of under this banner might have an important role.
1: First, thank you for the kind words yeah. about the show. I appreciate <laughs> it. Because if nothing, I'll tell you, you crystallized in what you said exactly what the entire concept of the show was when John and I first started talking about it about a year ago. So so thank you very much for that. And I think this is going to lead us directly into uh, now kind of talking about the the topic for the show in particular. Mm-hmm. And one of the things before the mics came on, we started discussing a little bit about the opportunities that are out there that are available for everyone, not just the people who are the volunteers and not just also uh, people who might be professional players, but play only in church, but also for, we'll call them secular musicians. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times guys are, they're either vaguely aware of the opportunities that are out there and vaguely aware of kind of what happens in churches today, or it, it might be completely off their radar so I would love for you to talk about what people can expect when they come into to especially contemporary yeah. churches today.
2: Well, there's a there's a five hour window every week on Sunday morning that something happens around America, around Canada, around Latin America, many countries, many places. As things are becoming more Westernized, this uh, idea of drums in church, uh, which is only it's an idea obviously that's about as old as the Beatles. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I mean, there's been some percussion things that have been happening, but for the most part, it's been organs and singing and for 1950 or 60 years, it's been the same kind of worship, the way people are singing and engaging uh, with God every week and with one another. So this idea of rock and roll before noon is very strange. <laughs> I mean, just in general, it's a strange thing to hit your snare drum and crash a cymbal at 8 a.m. on a Sunday. <laughs> it's just a strange occurrence, which is why a lot of these places have really terrible solutions uh, to volume and to um, all sorts of things. So uh, there's a there's a window every week of about five hours on Sunday mornings where there's about tens of thousands of stages across this country that are on in worship in worship rooms or in churches. Um, and, uh, there's an opportunity there as a young musician, it's a great opportunity to be built up and be mentored in your craft. Uh, the church has provided literally a stage to do that. Um, and it's wonderful. It's a really good thing that there's so many opportunities for learning. Whereas for years and years, the only means of worship was through a priest. Mm-hmm. So the priest would, would worship and we'd kind of worship through the priest. Whereas now this new model, this new idea of, of uh, relatively new of the band plays and there's a worship leader and they invite the whole crowd congregation to join in. That's a really new thing. So, for musicians, there's an opportunity, not only young musicians that maybe aren't ready to be paid or they don't want to be paid, um, to grow up. So I've, I've, I've mentored dozens and dozens of young kids on the church stage, you know, in small and medium churches, uh, where they've started out playing, uh, bongos Mm -hmm. (laughs) along with the, with the good drummer, and then they've slowly moved, you know, they maybe played brushes on the last song with the ballad, and they've slowly built up. It's a beautiful place to begin to grow as a musician um, and as a drummer. So I've seen dozens of drummers go from not playing at all to playing a lot. I've seen, I've seen soccer moms start playing rock band at their house or whatever that, that video game was. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'd be over at their house, we'd be eating chips and salsa and I'd see a soccer mom killing it on that uh, that drum pad thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's not around anymore, but what was it called? Rock band. Rock band, yeah, that yeah. Was it. And they had good rhythm and they were doing the mechanics and I'd say, well, hey, can you, you want to come practice with the church band next week? And all of a sudden you'd have a, uh, you know, a 35 year old mom playing along with, With uh, the band (laughs) doing, you know, the superstitious warm up Stevie Wonder song before or whatever, you know, and then playing the church music or whatever. It's just this incredible place every week that's happening. So as you drive around a day, you'll drive past a thousand stages and they've all got a drum set in them, most of them. And there's an opportunity every Sunday or Saturday night churches kind of meet in different times. But. Wow, that's just practically, that's kind of crazy to think that there's that much music going on on a Sunday morning. So I think there's opportunities for you as a drummer and uh, for us musicians to grow in that.
1: Mike, now that being said, and it being an absolute fact that that is the case, okay, there are still a lot of drummers and a lot of other musicians out there that have – preconceived notions. It's just a human thing. Yep. And they might have had bad experiences in the past in church as a kid or a teenager. Um, you know, you've got everything from bad experiences in Catholic churches to Pentecostal preachers yelling fire and brimstone, right? And they think, well, you know, this guy on this podcast is saying all these different opportunities <laughs> are available, but I don't want to be a part of that. Now, why don't you go ahead and explain also um, some of the preconceived notions people are gonna think, I've gotta look a certain way, I gotta wear a tie and a suit. And then when I gotta kind of come in there, I've gotta make sure that I bow before the cross every time. I've gotta say mm-hmm. so many Hail Marys, and then I've gotta watch every word that I say. Yeah. Because I'm gonna be scrutinized, I'm gonna be under the microscope. Kind of kinda of break a few of those things apart.
2: Yeah. Well, I think uh, I mean there's there's so many things about this beyond just the practical things that there's a bunch of stages and there's a bunch of musicians and opportunities. There are um, many factors within within faith, within Christianity, which is kind of uh, as we define terms and go forward, kind of a majority of the work with a drum set and a room in church work, at least in the States and in the West, is, is going to be within a Christian, uh, orthodox Christian context. Um, now there are, I I would imagine you guys probably know this. There's are there are gigs, um, in the Unitarian church and in all kinds of different denominations that are maybe outside of that, that evangelical, um, context. Obviously most, every black church is going to have a Hammond B3 and, uh, and, uh, and a drum set and, you know, so many different so many different places. So there's no really right answer to anything that I can say. I've been, most of my experience has been in uh, a vineyard church in the burbs of Atlanta. So I've been pastoring, you know, started as a 10 member church and grew to two or 300 members. So I've been in a small to medium sized church, um, in the burbs. It's been primarily, uh, Anglo, primarily middle class, um, but because we're a vineyard, we we took on all sorts of interesting characters over the years and people, so pretty diverse, um, in that context. But so there's no. I can just give you the answer from my perspective. Um, if you're not a churchgoer, maybe you're not, or you you went to church as a kid, and maybe now there you know there's some opportunities or some thoughts. Um, yeah, you know, I would say this. The ideal for me as a pastor, I would love to see uh, my, my hope is that everybody would attend a church and would be a part of retelling the story of God every week. That's, that's me showing my cards, you know, at the end of the day, um, I'm a Christian. I'm, um, uh, my life was changed by God and by Christ and the experience I had in him. Um, I grew up in a very, sad, poor situation. Um, and the church literally rescued me from a domestic abuse situation where we feared for our lives. This uh, crazy little church that played hymns (laughs) was the one that rescued me. It wasn't a rock and roll church that, that pulled me out, um, and really helped me, uh, and taught me music. So I learned music through the church. Um, so if you haven't been a part of that, or you're looking. You're kind of from the outside looking in. Um, just know that there are a lot of churches that uh, don't have as many rules, and some have more rules. Some will, they do want you to do a bunch of stuff and jump through a bunch of hoops, and you won't even be able to get in the door. They won't even ask you because they'll say, well, you're a non believer, and we wouldn't want a non believer on the stage. Um, whereas more increasingly, there seems to be a grace driven uh, paradigm that's happening where. It, that discussion happens yeah. later on. Um, and then, in some scenarios, it's simply a pay to play scenario where mm-hmm. if you play a horn, we'll come play the horn and mm-hmm. we'll pay you and you leave and thank you, God bless you. You know, there's no expectation that you participate at a certain level. So, I think in general, it's always good to figure out what you're walking into and research and study ask good questions a lot of times there's a job description on a pdf that they can hand you and say this is what we expect we want you to wear a button-up shirt and tuck it in and during the sermon which is where the the preacher preaches we want you sitting out there Mm -hmm. um instead of in the green room snacking on chips um you know, they like, do that? <laughs> well, I've never been to a green room with chips. You guys have played all the big churches, and I know there's deli trays. I've back been there. in a
0: green room where it looked like a buffet. So yeah, yeah, it, it can yeah. be.
1: Are you big league in this, man?
0: No, man, What's no. Going on? I just said I went in there. I didn't say I got to partake. Well, well, point taken How about that. Yeah. So yeah, all
2: all different kinds of different rules and and ways. To get in in the door, um, but yeah, just ask good questions and say, "What are the expectations?" You know, uh, that's what I always ask. What are the expectations? What do you expect of me? Um, we want you to play drums.
0: Mm-hmm. I think sometimes the uh, you you also need to be mindful of the vibe of the church. You know, like like in, in any gig, if it's a church where they're wanting more of the gospel chops thing, and you're just a groove guy, mm-hmm. don't subject yourself to that you know, scrutiny or that disappointment there. I think it goes beyond just, you know, I I, I personally think you should be most mindful of where they're at spiritually. So you're comfortable in that respect. But musically, too, you know, like if you're looking... For an environment, you know, yeah, in general, good
2: fit. I mean, the the heart of a Christian would be the heart of a great musician, I think, is you're you're coming as a servant. You're coming there. How can I serve you? What's the environment here? Um, And it's no different in the church world. Uh, You're coming prepared. You're coming on time. You're coming at eight o'clock in the morning on Mm -hmm. Sunday, which that's a very significant distinction. I mean, I've known a lot of guys that literally sleep in the parking lot of the church just because it's so there's no point in going home. So there are some really important uh, differences about the church work world. Um, but yeah, being being respectful and what are the expectations? And if they're written down, fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's great, because then you can always go back to it. Well, the email said, uh, I didn't need brushes, but you wanted me to play all brush, or whatever. I mean, hopefully you show up with brushes anyway, but. Um, but just knowing the expectation, what do you what do you need from me? How can I serve? And in the church world, there's just different language. So you don't say, "Hey, what? That was a great gig," you know. Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, man, uh, you know, what was the phrase you? <laughs> John, John, you gave me another phrase before, like "hell of a job" or "break a leg" or I don't know. What'd you say?
0: Uh, man that solo was a shit yeah yeah just like (laughs) you know there's there's some
2: language things that just common sense would tell you um some scenarios they're more sensitive people right and i think just as a as a serving musician you're 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 there to serve the situation and and, um that includes your language and and just things you know you're just you're hypersensitive to that stuff or hyper vigilant i should say um Defin- because you
0: know the expectation. Yeah, my point is that as working musicians and in a musical environment, a lot of time we could have a conversation that that's a perfect example. Like, man, that solo was a shit. That's sure. m- there's nothing offensive about that at all. To sure, to, to mus- musicians and but to church lady that was, you know, <laughs> laying out uh, said buffet in the green room, she sure. might just be mortified by that. Sure, there's there's certain things that you you have to kind of be aware of. So that that was the the point of that, yeah. you know, and sorry to offend anyone, but it really the, the, in yeah. in context that means nothing to to us, but it could to someone else. So. Sure, yeah. It's, it's, it, sometimes they talk about putting your hat on, you know, your church hat on or whatever, but there is a mindset you should be in as a working. Now employer.
2: there is a there is a distinctive that's really frustrating to me as I've hired drummers or hired outside musicians, is as a church musician don't always assume that you're going into the gig that you were in the last time or that all churches are the same. Um, you know, some play to the click verse two, three, four, chorus, two, Mm -hmm. three, four, improvise, two, three. I mean, it's literally all mapped out to the second. Um, your next gig might not be that there might not be a click track. There might be a wedge. There might not be ears. There might be, um, the leader might, uh, want to take it, uh, you know off the chart a a bit so just how can i serve what am i walking into not making assumptions because here's here's what happens is you hear stories that well bob was bob was hurt by that church gig or or that leader um hurt hurt betty the 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 drummer and well now that's my offense well no they haven't offended you (laughs) they offended betty right offended bob so if you hear those stories, it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to carry in um some extra protection. Uh but you just want to feel things out. Like I said, you want to ask the expectation and then serve the expectation, but but coming with um coming with your own expectation that it's going to be a bunch of cheesy music or it's going to be, you know, that will affect the way you play. That will affect the way you your attitude is definitely in the gig. And sometimes I see that with hard guns where they expect it to be something else. And it's like, why are you treating me like that? <laughs> you know, you're, you're acting strange and I haven't given you any, any reason to do that. So I think, uh, yeah, be careful in processing some of that stuff as you look for work in that world.
1: Um, now that we talk about actually getting there and, and getting a gig. One of the things that's tough in the secular world and can be incredibly intimidating in the Christian world or just in the church world is sometimes you do have to talk money. Sure. Uh, yeah, and, and it's a hot-button topic no matter what the situation is. So do you find that there is a better way or perhaps there's a correct way to do negotiations in a church setting.
2: Yeah, well, I think you guys have covered it in your in your pay negotiating talk and, and podcast, things that you guys, most of those rules still apply in the church world. So, um, oh, great, you'd love me to play this Sunday. Uh, I think it's important, if, if being paid is important to you, to ask what it pays. <laughs> it, even if it's a, you know, you seem like they, it might be little or it might be small to let that question go. Don't assume that they're going to pay you. Um, there's other assumptions too, which we could talk about later. Like don't assume that there's going to be a drum set there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't assume you know how to program the elesis drum pad or what, whatever they, you know, like don't, don't assume any of that. So you don't know what you're going to walk into in, in different churches. So, so yeah, very clearly, and I love doing these conversations via email or text, where you have a document where you could show some. Hey, they said seventy-five, I only got thirty. Uh, can we talk, to somebody? <laughs> you know. So I think there's there's uh, uh, most of the time you're dealing with nonprofits. These are five hundred one c three. So these are different organizations and organisms than you're probably used to dealing with. Um, so I think it's you probably tread a little bit more carefully. Your language might be a little more flowered or or, uh, or passive, but you still need to get to the question of what does it pay and what are the expectations? When do I need to be there? Um, what do you need me to bring? And then all Dress those negotiating tools that you guys have talked about um, it can be at play, but maybe not to the extent um, if it were just a secular gig. Um, I think coming as a servant, like I said, kind of, you know, I always like to give or bring more than what's expected of me. I love it when a drummer brings more. Oh, wow. They knew we had a snare drum, but they've still brought another snare. You know, they still brought some more cymbals, even though they know we got cymbals. Wow. That man, that's cool that they actually kind of care enough. It's not just a church gig to them, but mm-hmm. they actually brought some good, some good metal, you know? Um, Or they knew that we had a crappy kick drum uh, microphone. So they brought one from their house, you know, like just that heart of a servant. Like because the idea here is that most of the people on that stage that you're playing with, oftentimes churches will hire the drummer first. You know, so maybe there's a worship leader that's on staff or given a stipend and then they'll hire hire a drummer. And then a lot of times the rest of the people on stage are volunteers. Um, And that's different that's when you're playing on a stage full of people that are are you know giving up a significant portion of their life to be there that's that that should humble you a bit as a player and and want to come in and serve because you're knowing you're you're doing that um, just in a different context so a lot of it's the same as secular gigs but just to be uh, to to be kind to be to bring more uh, in each situation then even what's expected of you i think is good
1: awesome um now that we're in the topic of actually doing the service and we've kind of jumped mm-hmm. through some of the hoops of kind of what the expectations are of the the player including even negotiating some pay one of the things that i think has been revolutionary not only just in in churches but it's it's Really, it's kind of revolutionized the way a lot of musicians, I know that when I work in different secular bands, that that I use a similar sort of concept, is that churches have gotten very good at preparing their musicians through online services, such as Planning Center. Now, I want to talk about that for a second, and also a little bit of the double-edged sword of Planning Center as well. Planning Center can be fantastic for disseminating the correct uh, materials, such as MP3s, Charts, etc. Now, there are other situations, though, where I think that that it can be a little bit left, or I should say, some of the, some of the different materials can be a little bit less than desired. Like, for example, okay, most drummers and most musicians, especially that have a little bit of education, would would prefer a proper rhythm chart that has bars and beats, and to some extent, some lyrics, course chord symbols proper notation that sort of thing. But there are a lot of times that you will get what we'll call the cowboy chart. You know, which is you know what I'm talking about like a John? Lyric sheet, yeah, I it's basically a lyric sheet that might have mm-hmm. some chord symbols chord, on top right? of it. What is a good way to kind of circumvent that without having to get to the point where you have to make your own chart? Is there a good way that you can, you know, talk to to folks and say, "Hey, look, you know, you got praise charts to your, um, you know, to your disposal. That sort of thing.
2: Well, I think it's important to. So in the church world, yeah, we have these apps and these programs that are kind of specifically made for the church world. So there's typically four or five songs, and then there's mm-hmm. a sermon, and then there might be a song or two after the sermon. Maybe a special in there. Um, and these apps and online databases give the worship leader, the band director, the ability to. Just drag in songs that they're doing every week. So worship is kind of like jazz in that there's a thousand tunes and you just kind of plug and play those tunes for the most part. Some churches are doing original things and stuff like that. But for the most part, it's the same standards. Um, with a few new songs in there. So those songs are, are drug in there. And a lot of times as a worship leader, you have more than one leader. So it'll be me and Jane and Becky, and we're going to lead the worship that day. We're going to lead the songs. So Jane and Becky might drag a couple songs in. I might drag a couple songs in, and then we send it to the band. Um, well, Becky's version of How Great Is Our God is different than the version I thought she was bringing I'm expecting we're going to play version A, she's thinking version B, and you've been given version C. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just you, went through that a couple of weeks ago. And you study version C, you spend 45 minutes on it, you chart it out like a boss, you take that cowboy chart, and you make it into a proper chart, and you show up, and they have a totally different BPM. <laughs> it's like a mm-hmm. some crazy orchestral version or something, and you're stuck. You're literally just screwed. You have no... Uh, and you you look like you know like the one who's failed here so a good way to prep for that is you just want to be hyper vigilant you know as soon as you get the you get the notification hey you're playing this weekend here's your songs listen through those songs and then just be very clear hey these are the songs I'm going to I'm going to learn
0: deliberate arrangements. These,
2: these versions. I'm cool with little changes on the fly. And for the love of God, gentlemen, please be cool. It's just Mm -hmm. rock and roll. It's Mm -hmm. the simplest music in the world. Just listen to the singer. (laughs) Like it's okay. If we don't, I know
0: that's acknowledging (laughs) that they matter,
2: (laughs) but you know, just this idea that everything has to be so tight drives me absolutely bonkers in the church world. But, but, so be flexible but you need to tell the worship leader the the music director hey these are the versions i'm going to learn it's really important that you double check that right you know like and as you learn it like if the third one a lot of times like they'll accidentally put the ballad version on there without drum set or something you'd be like you, you need to, to, to text and be like hey just double check in that third version no drums right oh no we're doing the the you know, double kick drum version with the <laughs> with the roto toms or you know, have you guys had to rebuy buy roto toms? No, because no. it's a thing no. now. No. No. no, okay.
0: There's no floor tom on our stage either. So, but you guys know outside that of mine,
2: you know that roto toms made a comeback with the whole John Mark McMillan. He's a Christian artist that <clears throat> did an album without any symbols. and you don't know about this. No. So I'm educating these fellas All right. here in modern hipster worship that uh, if you find those old Rototoms over at Dirt Cheap Music, you wanna pick them up, because they're back.
0: Okay.
1: Terry Bozio would be proud, man. He would be. (laughs) That's some good, you know.
0: Are we gonna play US Drag next Sunday?
1: No kidding, man. (laughs) I mean, this, it's kind of one of those things, man, let me find the worst sounding things on the face of the planet and put them on my new record and make it cool. Can
2: you hear me? Now, the trend <laughs> of the four-piece drum set, uh-huh. if we just take a break here, wins it over. Like, is it just because everybody's so lazy that it will be this forever?
0: <laughs> I just, I can only reach certain things <laughs> at this point in my life, so.
1: I i don't know, My my vibe on the entire thing was... The, the four-piece or even the five-piece drum set uh, was pretty much put into use and became really the super norm during kind of the grunge years, those early 90s yeah. and stuff. And, and it, it, would, it directly flew in the face of the excess of the 80s and the hair bands and that yeah, type yeah. thing. And I think the other kind of subliminal thing is, is hey, this music is simple enough. That, sure. You know, that we don't need, you know, the Neil Peart Rush kit yeah. to, to carry this out. So there was a lot of uh, um, fashion sensibility that went into that as well, I think.
2: Mm.
0: I, I I do it because I don't want the focus on me. I want it on God. How <laughs> about that one, man? Well, did, that, did that sound real? Hey, it sounded good. No, no seriously. I um, I, just before I forget, um, it. Uh, I, I think Phil is right in that you know you have not only a generation of players that have gone simple but then a generation of songwriters that have gone simple as well so a, a large drum set in most most of the songs that are being presented now it's not even like not it even just necessary. seems like if
2: you wanted to 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 stick out right now as a drummer if you wanted to do something unique you would get Two more toms. Not low toms, Mm -hmm. but the higher toms. Mm -hmm. And you'd have just the... The voices. You'd have four accents instead of just two. Like that would absolutely sound unique.
1: Am I crazy? No, and let me tell you, you're also also a genius because that provides the perfect segue into a few questions I I have for you. Perfect. (laughs) Now, regarding that. John and I have talked about this for years regarding—and we're going to use—we'll use equipment as the example. It seems like to us that in particular Christian contemporary musicians that are incredibly entrenched in that style of music, and, and that's the main focus of their musicianship, it seems like they are highly influenced to use the same kind of gear, same looking, same sounding kind of gear as people that they would consider to be on the forefront Of that style of music. Like, for example, it seems like over the past, wouldn't you say, John, maybe 10 years, there's been a proliferation from drummers that play with like Matt Redman and Chris Tomlin to use huge drums, use like 26 inch bass drum, large toms, large floor toms, and then huge dark, thin cymbals. Mm -hmm. And that has become almost dogma for for younger players playing in churches and so i think that in in a lot of ways will answer somewhat also of that smaller drum set style of question as far as like this having the one up and maybe two down mm-hmm. sort of version on drum set but what are your thoughts about that thing of of almost like cloning uh popular musicians inside of that style of music
2: yeah there's all sorts of trends um I mean, in, in the Christian world and in in uh, non-Christian, you know, whatever. I mean, there's there's going to be trends that go there. But in the church, yeah, there's there's a few models that we see. So we'll see a Hillsong model, which is a Australian church record label and in, in church that has a certain style. And then there's the Bethel, um, Northern California. There's a model there. And because of video, we're getting video and YouTube videos everywhere, um, we're seeing you know, kind of what, what people do, you know, it's become more visual than it has been really. What does this sound like? What's the sound? Is the sound of these hi hats good? Well, what size are they? They're 13 inch. Well, we can't use those, (laughs) but they sound good. Mm -hmm. They sound good on this song or this album. We'll use them. (laughs) But but. (laughs) (laughs) So we're just stuck with the visual versus just closing our eyes and listening. Well, and that kick just sounds good yeah it's a 20 inch kick man it sounds good like it sounds good for this record or you know we'll use it um but we're stuck in visual especially for drummers because you're kind of surrounded by all this beautiful stuff and you know it, it's i i can see how it becomes a fascination um and then really like the 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 brands that come out and the stuff that comes out that's affordable or that's uh you know, that's good. That's not cracked and broken is all the same kind of stuff, right? So Mm -hmm. it's harder to find a good pair of 13 inch hi hat. You know, if you wanted them, you probably couldn't even find them because they might not even have them as an option. So, um, I think it's important to find your own here. Here's a really important thing. As you're playing in church, like I totally dig that. Like you walk in and you the the house kit is there and you play it, but find ways as a drummer to bring who you are to that church gig. Here, here, um, excellent. So you know your thing might be, uh, you know, all the way from the way you listen to the click might might be important to you. Um, to just bring in your own symbols. Just bring your own symbols things that add some different color and flavor and texture. Um, you know, some churches aren't going to like that. A lot of bigger churches. I was in a church a few weeks ago where the sound guy wouldn't let anybody tune the drums. I, I just, I just, I, I, I didn't think that that was very wise and that wouldn't attract you guys. It wouldn't attract mm-hmm. really high end drummers because most high end drummers I know <laughs> would want to tune their own drums. Um, but just, you know, tune the drums, to, you know, care for the kit, especially if it's not your kit and there's something you can fix or make excellent about it. Um, let the let the sound guy know, let the church. Hey, it's you probably guys could probably use some new heads. Um, hey, I've got a couple extra. I can bring some next time, or whatever. Like you're just you're there to serve. You're listening, but you're bringing your own style, your own unique who you are. And that will be in your gear. That will be in your sticks. That will be in um some things that you do so you might bring some maybe not the whole kit maybe that might be too much but you maybe bring some pieces that uh define who you are and you know we all know it's not about you and it's all about god and all that stuff but it's okay to bring some personality to your, to the extent that it's it's welcomed and that the musicians and the leaders want it they might not right unfortunately they might be like no we've got our thing don't bring your own thing you know whatever
0: even from a different perspective uh, you know sometimes I bring things because I'm comfortable mm-hmm. allowing me to yeah. to just relax you know like I, I don't like that pingy ride I can't I just yeah. I shy away from it. if I bring mine I'm more yeah. you know so that that kind of thing too like there's you know if you're truly wanting to give more than yeah. just who you are but you know if you're into the worship thing and all that too like be comfortable man have things that allow you to really deliver and if that's your ride symbol or your snare drum that's going to put you in that place yeah that, that's, and, a, that's a good pl- thing to do
2: going off of that a little bit I, I don't know if we'll get to this so let me just say it that you know really owning the song you know like what does that mean like maybe you got all the lego pieces down you know where the, all the eights and the fours and the half measures are um and a lot of casts i play with they i know they know the song they know the Lego pieces. Uh, you know, but to play it musically, to play it, dare I say, worshipfully, (laughs) um, with feel, uh, with passion, you know, so like if you go see, uh, a hardcore punk band, uh, Nine times out of 10, they're from Boston. And nine times out of 10, that drummer is singing every single word that that punk rock, and he doesn't have a vocal mic. You know, He's engaged in the freaking song. He's owning Mm -hmm. the freaking song. He's playing it. And when you watch him, you know he believes it, right? So in these faith communities, when you're playing these simple songs, and why do we have simple songs? Why are CCM, or why are worship songs in church so cheesy? You guys wanna know the answer? or why they're not always that great, is because my job as a worship leader is to provide a song, to provide a liturgy that a two-year-old and an 85-year-old, black, white, Hispanic, African-American, fat, skinny, rich, poor, we all can come in together and have something to say together. In no other musical context on this earth, no other band on this earth is expected for their demographic to be everybody. Mm-hmm. You too mm-hmm. can say, "Here's our demo. Here's our pie." You know, uh, uh, d- different bands can say, "Here's here's our pie," but in the church world, my responsibility as a worship leader is to do as big of a pie as possible. Right. <laughs> is to make it so. That's why sometimes it might feel more vanilla than it should be or why, because we're trying to find a song that everybody can sing, um, which, you know, the range might be limited. That might be why it's super simple, why it repeats a lot, um, is because we're trying to find something for everybody to say. And uh, that's a hard gig. No it's doubt. one of the hardest gigs I can think of.
1: That's a great answer, man. I mean, because that that answer pretty much answers two or three different questions Mm -hmm. that I had. That's that's fantastic. Um, Regarding musicians, and especially younger musicians that spend the majority of their time, if not all of their time, performing in churches, um, what do you have to say to them regarding the importance (laughs) of branching out a little bit Mm -hmm. and learning other music, other secular styles? I know that there are... There are some musicians that actually feel conflicted about that. And knowing your varied background, any words of wisdom towards making sure you learn? Other yeah, I th-
2: th- I think it's important, really important. This a few months ago, my buddy Brad was uh was working on. I don't. You guys probably know. The, I I don't even know if this is right, but the Purdy Shuffle. Oh yeah, is that a thing? Oh That's yeah, a thing? Mm-hmm. so uh, is that like a six a like? Like, what's the. It's
1: a halftime. That you will never play in church. (laughs) But
2: you could, right? You could, yes. You could. Here's Uh the idea. You could and you should. Like, so your average, like, six, eight song, you know. Like, you could just play it, right? And, like, you could just get away with murder. And that soccer mom. Who learned how to play on rock band can literally get through the church service playing that beat right mm-hmm. but as a great drummer as a drummer that has studied the purdy shuffle even if you're 22 and you don't know who that is but now you go look and you spend three or four or five weeks or months mastering that groove you could play that over some basic suburban white 6-8 worship song and it Nobody would probably even know <laughs> like, you know, or they, they would know, but they would feel it. They would know that something's different and something's better. The drummer might feel it other, you know, like to bring your best, even to the church situation, to bring your very best, I think is really, really important because a lot of times not much is expected of you in, in most churches. Now I know in some of the bigger, in the, in the bigger opportunities, there's probably a different answer to that, but in most places, the very least is expected of you um, musically because the songs are so simple. So yeah, study some jazz, study some swing, uh, and you will find opportunities to put that stuff to work in modern worship. Study some orchestral things, study some uh, mallets, like turn off your snare drum and playing with some yarn mallets for a song. For the love of God, that would be amazing. Like, I love that. Uh, some brushwork. You know, a, a mat, like most churches I go to, like I told you, I've been to 50 plus churches. That fourth song, I always turn around to whoever the drummer is. I say, hey, grab your brushes on this one. Let's just take it easy. And six out of 10 times, they don't have brushes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they don't know what brushes are.
0: <laughs> like they, I believe it.
2: They literally don't know what the word means. Um, so to study some some brush brushwork... Uh, some rudiment uh there's lots of opportunities why well, i just call it civil war give me a civil war thing. march you kind of uh yeah yeah study some of that stuff learn get increase your tool belt most worship leaders most church sin- situations they are just going to expect the very least and a lot of times they're going to expect that recording version which is just kind of the the snooze fest of of drum drum world but um Learn, to take some time to grow, um, even though you're not being asked to, <laughs> I think it, it would help. And you'll probably get better gigs, you'll probably play with better people.
1: John and I have talked about numerous times the importance of having technique and musicality headroom you don't necessarily have to wield that on every gig, but the depth that it brings to your playing and just the depth that it brings to the knowledge of how you can approach certain things may not be nearly as evident if you don't have that technique and yeah. a uh, headroom in that musicality headroom. So man, I think your advice is spot on.
2: And on I that. love it when drummers say, Hey, how about this? Or, hey, have you thought about this? Mm-hmm. And notice how I put that in a form of question. <laughs> So it's a humble inquiry. Hey, we've got some margin here. What do you think about going to this? Mm-hmm. Oh no. Okay. Cool. I'll do what you what we practice. But a lot of times it's like, yeah, let's try something. What do you, What are your thoughts? And then there's a thought. You know, be, because you have the ability to play that crazy beat thing that you cooked up and that you practiced. You know, and it sounds simple. It sounds worshipful. It sounds. It just helps the music. Man, for you to bring that as the drummer is so valuable Um, and you oftentimes can up the game for everybody like everybody on that stage a lot of times i'm hiring a drummer for a church or a worship gig because i want to show all the other volunteers kind of like hey this is what professionalism looks like (laughs) like to the best of your ability as a volunteer i'd like you to kind of up your game a little bit watch john prepare for this or watch the ideas that he brings Mm -hmm. to the table so Increasing your tool belt, even if church is your only gig, is a very, very important endeavor.
1: Man, awesome. Um, another thing, we've touched on this a little bit on the show as well. Um, we've talked about over the past, I don't know, 10 to 15 years, and especially with YouTube and different types of social media, something that kind of gets stuck in our collective craws from time to time is the. Um, We'll call it the we'll call it being enamored with gospel chops, and in some ways, almost looking at it as a bit of a contest. And one of the things that I'd like to get your take on is: Do you a ever encounter drummers that are overplaying? And if you do, what do you say to them? And if not, just what is your overall take on, say, somebody is playing in the Spirit, but maybe, or just just overplaying to the point of where I like to say that it's completely disconnected from actually what's going on worship-wise and or even musically. Sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah, well, I would say, I mean, in the gospel world, I've, I've simply only visited a few black churches in my life, and I know it's a different world musically. Like, it's just, it's looser, it's got flow. Man, is it's, thing. it's so inspiring. It's so good. If you're just a, if you're a worship leader or a drummer and you haven't experienced that, mm-hmm. uh, you've just been kind of, you know, doing, doing your thing. I encourage you to take a couple Sundays off and just go hang out or a Sunday night and just go experience that and worship with those people. I mean, it is amazing to have the whole room kind of breathing and moving, um, not, and not to say that all African-American churches are going to be exactly like that, but when you talk about chops, gospel chops, mm-hmm. I, in drummer world, I think, yeah, there's definitely that. Um, there's a lot of overplaying in that world. I mean, there's a lot of overplaying just in, uh, as I go teach and train, I mean, literally the first thing I teach in my makeup music, making music, like a producer class, uh, I put a drummer up there I put a bass player up there and we go, boom, boom. Boom, boom. And I say, can you do it simpler than that? Boom, boom. You know, can you do it simpler than that? And just people's minds are blowing that, like, you only need to hit the kick drum on that medium tempo song once in 16 seconds. Sure, why not? Make some room for some other things. So, um, so yeah, there's all sorts of understanding of playing simpler. Um and really, here's the thing. Here's the distinctive. In worship music, the the distinction, you know, Christianity is a singing religion. So most religions don't make a big deal about singing. Mm-hmm. You know, Christianity, it's kind of based around singing. There's a lot of singing involved. So singing is based around the lyric. That's the difference between a song and music. A song has lyric. So once you put lyric in something... Um, Different kinds of music have different understanding of how prominent that lyric needs to come to the front. In worship, my hope as a worship team and a worship leader is I just want everybody singing together. The whole room. Like the room is the star, Jesus is the star, whatever. I get the right answer, but what I'm saying is that like everybody singing together and just participating together is the goal. So oftentimes I'll- Not a performance, but an
0: engagement. uh,
2: not a performance but an engagement but here's the problem is that we built all these church sanctuaries and they look like concert halls yeah because they're concert halls <laughs> mm-hmm. they're elevated stages with lighting and and uh, and nice flooring and then we put a hundred chairs in front of it facing that stage and we call we don't call oh. it a performance well no it's a performance, it's a performance. there's a hundred and ninety people looking at you there's three thousand people looking at you they're watching you um, so that's but here's a distinction in it's in the mind and it's in the heart of the artist is the heart of the artist is saying they're not here for me. It's OK if I do something that's extraordinary and wonderful and I play a killer fill and somebody goes, man, that's awesome. That's a killer fill. And it still be worship music. That's all good. Um, but the heart of the artist is that we're going somewhere together. So it's not the congregate it's not the the ticket buyers watching you two and taking in you two as consumers that's not what's happening in a church service what's happening in a church service is the musicians are on the stage and the people in the congregation and we're actually all facing the same direction we're all going somewhere together is mm-hmm. the idea, and the musicians just happen to be up front so it's literally like you could think of it in a military sense where we're all marching together and the bands up front and the worship leaders up front, the preachers up front and we're just leading the way, but we're all going the same direction together. We're all singing the song together. And if you can play in a way that helps that, whether it be gospel, whether it be anything, you know, people are participating with you. They're not, they might be watching you and that's okay, but your hope and their hope is that we're all going somewhere together. Um, And you'll play different when you realize that that's the gig, not them, you know, staring at you. But it doesn't mean you can't play good stuff or you couldn't play busy for a second (laughs) or a moment, but then go back into it. But it's all busyness is all contextual as far as gospel versus, you know, rock worship or whatever. I wish I wish drummers would play busier at times. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Cuz I'm, I'm I get bored. <laughs> Mike. <laughs> Sorry.
1: Mike be, being someone who uh, who's a worship leader and compared to hired musicians is a person that is in administrative power in a church. There have been times when musicians have, I guess they've been responded to or they, they have been, they've been spoken to in sort of a way or been given mm. a direction in a way that they may not agree with. And sometimes the response back from the person that they don't necessarily agree with is something along the line of, well, I made my choice because this is the way that I'm being led. <laughs> I like I like the 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 little uh, mm-hmm. sinister laugh underneath. Yeah, it, he's how, never heard that, I'm sure. Yeah, how how is there a way that you can effectively respond to that?
2: Yeah, well, let let me say this. Um, you know, as a young worship leader, uh, the first ten years of ministry, the only way I knew how to run rehearsals, the way I had been taught and led, was similar to the if you know the the whiplash movie version, um, or just the overbearing leader, band director guy, get it together, make it happen, you know, screaming at a bunch of ADD kids to get their crap together. You know, that was my model. So I carried that with me through all the bands that I led, and I carried that with me through the church. So when I entered the church, all the, a halo didn't form over my head where all of a sudden I became this gracious, encouraging leader um, just because we're making Jesus music now, I carried with all that dysfunction of who I was and all that shame of who I was into that leadership role. So I talked down to drummers. I uh, I hurt a lot of people. You know, there's people to this day that I see them uh, in a coffee shop or in a in a restaurant and they don't talk to me because of the way I treated them as a volunteer or as a hired gun in the church world. You know, and I was the leader. I was the quote unquote pastor. Um, and I screwed up and I hurt a lot of people. There's trail of dead behind me. Um, and I've had to learn over the years that, uh, in the church situation and really in all situations in my, in my world now, there's not a distinction between sacred secular there, but, um, that people matter, you know, we're made in the image of God. So, um, people matter. And people over production, uh, whereas uh, a lot of rock bios that I read or producer bios, it's not people over production. It's like let's make this thing amazing and fire people and re-record over their tracks and all that stuff. But it, in a in a faith uh, situation and scenario, we need to be kind to one another. We we need to literally lay our lives down for one another. So as the leader. Um, we need to create environments for that. And I haven't done that, especially in the, in the, in the beginning of my career, there was a lot of, a lot of things that I said. um, And a lot of people have been given authority that aren't ready for it. Um, And maybe they're just the best singer and the best picker in the room. And some pastor says, Hey, you're in charge. And then all of a sudden they have authority because they have a gifting, but they don't actually have anything that undergirds, that gifting, <laughs> um, and that needs to be developed, but it's hard to develop that because the people developing you are still sleeping and they're waking up and they're going to come preach later on. They're not there with you, coaching you how to lead. So oftentimes, worship leaders and music directors, we just learn how to lead by ourselves. We don't have our mentors around us to continue to help us. So. Um, forgive us where we've done that <laughs> i know there's probably a lot of drummers and and musicians here that have been hurt by churches that have done really and said really harmful hurtful things words do matter especially in rehearsal when somebody compares what you're playing to you know i've told guitarists i said oh that sounds so uh uh you know you sound like uh, every rose has its thorn or something. It sounds real eighties cheesy, or I make some comparison or don't make it sound. So this or that, those are just hurtful, disparaging words. And in a creative sense that just shuts the show down and you just say, well, screw it. I'm just going to do as little as I can to get through this. (laughs) And, uh, that's happened a lot. It continues to happen a lot as a musician, as a hired gun, I encourage you, you might be working with younger leaders. Um, John's even modeled some things for me as you know he's 10 years my senior Uh, 10 years ago when we were tracking stuff he would give me feedback on how I was leading the band and give me some help so uh, you can ask for permission to speak into leaders um, especially if you got a standing gig where you're playing weeks and or hey I've had I've got some thoughts about communicating with the bass player you're not seeming to get the results you want (laughs) I've got some ideas if you ever want to know oh yeah, tell me, you know, so looking for those mentoring opportunities where you can help um, people communicate because as working drummers, you have seen tons of great leaders and great producers and you've seen tons of crappy ones (laughs) and ones that don't communicate well. Um, So I think you can help um, with that situation, but yeah, it's, it's pervasive and who you are off the church stage is the same as who you are on. I mean, you could hide it for a while, but it, it eventually comes creeping yeah. back it comes
0: creeping speaking speaking of <clears throat> some of that this is going to be more maybe and i know you're going to draw in some people on this show that might not just be drummers because we want to make sure this reaches plenty of people that you're you're trying to reach as well but um the experience that uh seems all too common is from a a lot of worship leaders' perspective, you know, that this is, their Sunday morning is going to be their focus. Four or five tunes, you know, they get that cleared up, they choose them, they do that. But, as a working player, I think it's important to maybe convey to some of these people that our lives don't necessarily revolve around that five-hour Sunday window we've Mm -hmm. decided to focus on this week. And, a difficult thing from the perspective of a working musician is maybe it's best that sometimes they understand a worship leader understands we have a whole lot of other things going on in our week. You know, we might have a gig where we have to learn 15 or 20 songs. We might have, you know, responsibilities above and beyond mm-hmm. these five songs and our schedule could be insane, and also we might not have the luxury of going to sleep at ten thirty on Saturday night. We might be going to sleep at two. So my my point, and I'd like you to speak to it a little bit. Um, but my point to to them is be mindful of that. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're like demanding, you know, this bright-eyed and bushy-tail on Sunday morning, well, that might be difficult. Or I don't want charts on stage. You know, you better learn these songs inside and out that could be difficult. On one one week it might not be. Sure. The next week it might be a real challenge. But I think there's been a rub with the the more recent approach of hiring musicians to not understand their perspective, not understand their responsibilities. And maybe it's, it's part of our duty to, to start that conversation a little more, being a little more honest about like, look man, you know this your world is a lot different than ours be mindful of that if it's as simple as saying i don't want charts on stage well technology has allowed us to have an ipad on stage it's way less you know it's way more inconspicuous than a music stand and charts strewn all over let's work together here but understand you know our worlds can be completely different And that's something that's always been difficult for me to convey to certain people because they don't want to receive it. But um, I just wanted to take the opportunity in this conversation to say, hey man, we need to be aware of the fact that sometimes there's things put on the working player that you have no idea about, or you may may be demanding something of them that is gonna be hard to meet so you know let let's let's open that communication here
2: yeah re- reminds me uh an axiom that i I live by that I've stolen from some of my mentors is bad administration hurts people, bad administration hurts people, so when things aren't clearly communicated, um then we just are living in like a feeling ooey gooey world, mm-hmm. so in that situation. Uh, you know, let's say a church has three or four different worship leaders and you're the working drummer and each one has different one likes charts and one doesn't want the charts because it shows up on the screen. And, um, you know, one wants you to play with the square kick beater because some producer told him it was awesome. <laughs> you know, like there's all these different expectations. Well, um, bad administration hurts people. That's a poorly administrated situation. Whereas a clearly administrated situation would be like, there are no charts for this gig. You know, we have cameras, we have GoPros, and we don't want anybody seeing your your chart. That would look weird, <laughs> whatever. If that's the if that's the expectation, then as a drummer, I don't care if you you got ten jazz gigs. During, if we're paying you to play and mm. you want to be, and we've agreed on it, then that's the gig. You don't have charts. Understood. Um, so. But when it's all ooey gooey and one guy likes him and the other guy doesn't, and then that's where it becomes weird and hurtful and like, dude, I don't, you keep moving the goalposts. Like, what's the win here? What do you want? Um, it just needs to be clearly defined. What have you asked for? Um, so as, as the, the hired gun, I would say, ask for that. Mm-hmm. You know, Ask for that clarity. And oftentimes, leaders will come back and do, oh dude, it's cool, man. We're just feeling it out. Well, no. Dude last week said something different and now it's causing, so I just need, can you write something down and send it to me? And it'll be the best thing they could ever do is to actually have to administrate something creative, mm-hmm. you know. Um,
0: or defined. Yeah, just yeah. define
2: it. Make it clear. And uh, it'll be really helpful. And then that way you just know. Did I, did I succeed? Was I on time? I didn't use charts. And I brought a variety of sticks or you know like whatever the whatever the win is or i stayed you know maybe they don't want you in the green room they want you out in the congregation listening you know is that an expectation do you want me to okay well i'll go out there and sit Mm -hmm. um what do you want what do you ask me to and then you just have that clearly defined um yeah i think it's important
1: i'm feeling good about life gentlemen you are Especially you must after.
0: not have to learn twenty five songs this week.
1: <laughs> well, you're subbing for me tomorrow, uh, so <laughs> yeah, but that, that's
0: that I went to learn two, so it yeah. doesn't count.
1: Mike, anything else you want to impart upon our listeners before we start wrapping it up?
2: Um, yeah, I want to ask you guys some gear questions. Ooh, um, we
1: like talking gear.
2: But I, I'd say, in, in summary, this you know, this is one of my first podcasts, so I, I might be rambling. It might not be perfect but i love like i said i love the church i think from my perspective it's it's uh it is one of the hardest gigs of the week to find something to say and to sing um but when it does happen when that whole congregation comes and you know people are waking up before noon on a sunday to come do something they're showing up uh and they don't have to and that's awesome that's a really cool thing like like, it's it's okay to feel good when you look out and you see 50 or 100 or 1,000 people singing. It's okay to feel good about that gig, mm-hmm. um, to enjoy it as a musician. You're made in the image of God. I think God delights in that. It's a matter of the heart. So if your heart is uh, full of shame or burden or hurt or unmet need, you're going to play and respond in a way that could be hurtful to those around you and people could perceive that in a certain way. If your heart is there to serve, and to bring your best, and to lay your life down for one another, I think whether you're a Christian or not, those are really good uh, ways to live. (laughs) Um, uh, Where you lay your life down and consider somebody else better than yourself, and you make room for them, and encourage one another. Wow, that's an incredible space. So this place of making music, rock and roll before noon, on Sunday is a beautiful time. It's a really good time to bring a good attitude. And some, in some cases, um, yes, you will make money. And that's so cool. Like you, The church, people in the church are tithing to that church. They're giving that community. Oftentimes that money is going to feed the poor. It's going to take care of missionaries across the world. The church is doing really good work. And part of that good work is giving a, a worker's wages. So to make a little coin, and that's good. And that's a a worthwhile thing. And the drummer position, like I said, is a really influential position. Your attitude at that throne, (laughs) whether you're behind some glass (laughs) in some in some uh, aquarium, whatever the church, your position is really important. Your attitude will feed the whole band, which is oftentimes full of volunteers and just weekend warriors. You can really help. Uh, make the weekend and bring a good attitude and serve and have fun. So that's my uh, that's my shtick. Now I do have some questions for you guys. Okay. Now I get on airplanes and I drive to churches around the country. Um, oftentimes I'll show up on a Thursday and I'll practice with that weekend's band, and on Friday I'll. Hang out with songwriters and talk about creativity in the church. On Saturday, I'll do a training session on Saturday morning where I do like a master class for worship leaders and the band. Put the band up there and we talk about music. Um, most churches I go to are smaller churches. So there are 100, 200, 300, 400 members, some mega churches. Um, but what can you tell us about the drum set, some house kits that you've been been on? that what would a good, healthy kit, and you can be a specific or, or just give some general guidelines, a good, healthy kit for a, for a medium-sized church or even a large church, I think it's all the same. Once you get past a couple hundred, I think you need a good drum set, right? You need some good cymbals. So what are some good things you've walked upon just technical-wise, gear-wise?
0: The biggest thing for me is maintenance. Having someone mindful of, you know, do the cymbal stands adjust properly, and are there are there pads so you're not having a cymbal sitting on metal against metal? Is is there a quality snare drum? You know, you can make a a midline kick drum and tom sound pretty good, but a really quality snare drum is something that I think is overlooked a lot of times. Like invest in that cymbals. To me, is like. You can't be overly you. You just you have to be mindful of good sounding symbols because you know a really bad sounding set of symbols is going to turn off someone who doesn't even understand why. But it's just like oh, those don't sound good. They're harsh. They're they're nasty. But um, now a lot of people would say, well,
2: if you're a good drummer, you can make something. Terrible sound great. No, I don't believe that's necessarily true.
1: It's difficult to make bad symbols sound good, (laughs) regardless of who you are. Yeah, I a thousand percent agree with what he said regarding the maintenance aspect of it. From the actual gear choice aspect, in other words, as far as like what some church decides to spend their money on, I think that there are certain things that they can get a lot of bang for their buck with. And I'll, I'll give you some specifics after I say a couple of things in general about a drum set and then the cymbals. The other thing that I would tell you about aside from maintaining the drums is anyone who is in charge of the budget. Be careful that whoever you have that buys the drums and whoever buys the cymbals that they don't paint you into a corner stylistically with with one set of cymbals or a set of drums that only does that really is only going to be good for one thing. You know, now let me give you an extreme example. Somebody says this church, you've got a thousand dollars to buy everything, and they go out and they buy a, a a little beginner style kit that's got an eighteen inch bass drum and, and a you know a ten inch tom and a fourteen inch floor tom or a twelve inch floor tom. You know, you've painted yourself stylistically into a corner. It's going to be a little bit harder to make that kit even sound remotely good for like a, a louder volume rock situation. So I would just say try to get a kit that's gonna straddle a few different stylistic lines. Likewise, I'll tell you this, don't go out and get a, a a drum set with a 26 inch bass drum and a 14 inch rack tom to try to mimic the guy who's playing from Matt Redmond. Again, you're gonna put yourself into a stylistic corner when you have to do that Easter service with the orchestra in front of you as well, right? And then as far as cymbals go, like John said, Get something that sounds pretty good. There's no tuning of cymbals.
2: Now you guys have, have have spent a lot of money on drums over the years. Um, so if I were to say, okay, I'm I'm planning a church and we're gonna have 100 people the first Sunday, and I we want to we want to have an amazing drum set. We want to we want to have a lifetime drum set. We want this drum set. To be here in 10 years, we want to train a thousand drummers to play on it. Um, a thou, you know, every Sunday that hi hat's going to be hit 733 times. Whatever, like this is, and I'm I'm hiring you, and I'm saying, hey guys, I want you to, I want you to go buy what I need. What is a budget? And this is the number I want you to give me the the real number because mm-hmm. most church pastors will say a thousand dollars. We'll just, we'll just buy a drum set, a thousand bucks. Oh wow, that's a lot for everything. <laughs> what would a drum kit cost? Like you're, if I were to hire you to come play on a studio session tomorrow and you brought everything, if, if that, all that was to be stolen and you were gonna insurance replacement on it, what is, what is that kit and those tools? What is, a, what is a number you could give me of what that cost?
0: Well, my first advice would be to find someone that really knows the ins and outs yeah. of gear. And I I personally feel like going the used route is the best way. Sure. And someone who really knows what's up is going to find incredibly high-quality stuff for half the price of what you're going go to go to guitar center and get hammered on. So I think getting in that mindset, first and foremost, there are unbelievably fickle people out here buying stuff that they have money to burn and they're buying something. And six months later, they're like, ah, oh, I'm going to move on or do that. Mm-hmm. So that, that is something that I think is the most important is don't go to guitar center and lean on the salesman. <laughs> Find someone who knows what's up. Find someone who dabbles in this stuff all the time.
2: And somebody that's over 60 that is into fusion rock at no. your church no <laughs> <laughs> see a lot of churches they'll have a a a predominant character either in the sound world or in the drum world mm-hmm. that has this very specific taste right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i'll walk into a lot of churches and it's like wow this is like the the, the rush drum kit
0: right double um, pedals and this 12
2: year old kids up there trying to you know play it and he's playing all these little symbols so so you're saying, like, hi, like try to find a a good drummer, maybe somebody that has been doing some wide ranging things, not
0: yeah, or 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 someone who's knowledgeable, yeah. in it, you know, and, and knows the market, knows where there are things that are where things are available, might have a good, you know, com, uh, network of people that can help them find that, but I, I think doing your due diligence, it's like. You don't just go walk up and say to a commercial real estate guy, we want a new building. We trust you. You know, whatever. Just, just get us something. No, you're going to be like, man, I want an inspector. I want, you know, someone that's knowledgeable in whether this building's going to sure. be a money pit or not. You know, the same thing goes with, with any purchase. You wouldn't go to a dealership, a car dealership, and go, you know, yeah, I want a nice used car. Whatever, I trust you. You're not going to do that, you know. No, I want a good quality one that's going to last. But, you know, your investment, you know, don't just don't just write it off as like. Find someone that can help you find that ten year investment, and you can do that. You can buy really high quality gear if you if you know who who to, who to go to. That's my advice. So.
1: Yeah, and I would I would. I wholeheartedly concur with John's assessment. The, the other thing I would say, though, is this. I don't think you can be in quite as much of a hurry if you go in that route because it might take a little bit of time right. to, get to, you, to get to the point to where you can acquire all of these high-end pieces for a little bit of a cheaper price. Sure. Now, let me say this. Look, I'm, I'm going to go a different direction on this. Do it. Let's say that the church goes, we need it next week. Money's no option. No. Yeah,
2: yeah. A lot of times that's what the deal yeah. is.
1: If if somebody said that to me, what I would do, and but they said, hey, give me, get me in the ballpark of what what we can be expecting on this, and I would just tell them right up front, I'm going to say, look, I'm going to buy this kind of a drum set, and I'm going to buy you these cymbals, and this is why, and I'm going to assume, Mike, that that also that the that the rest of the the stuff, the miking and everything, will be taken care of by the front of the house and whatnot, that I'm just buying the drum gear. Mm-hmm. I'd tell them, I'd say, look, you give me five grand, and I'm going to give you something that's going to last not 10 years, it's going to last the, the life of this church. Yeah. Now, that's 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 an extreme case right there. In other words, where, where somebody goes, we got to have this thing rocking by two Sundays yeah. from now. We got to have everything in place. Money's really no object. Go out and have at it. That's sure. what I would tell you. Now, part two of that. Let's say somebody goes, "Look, we got to have something in two weeks. Money is an object, hmm. but we still want to get something that's good." But the budget's two thousand. Okay. Now you can still make this happen.
0: I'll rock their world.
1: Yeah you you <laughs> you can you can you can rock their world with with that. Uh, There are, without getting into name brand stuff, there are a couple of kits that John and I have both owned and have visited their factory that that you can buy brand new that will melt your face off for decades, just wonderful drums do they fit the bill of their highest high-end stuff? No, they, they're not exactly the same thing, but they do a wonderful job, especially for the budget constraint of that. Yeah. And then regarding the symbols, you can flat out buy some really fine symbols with that remaining 800 to to $1,000. So
2: your average, your average pastor, um, so j- just a uh, speed round here, like a good seat to sit on. 150 bucks. Hundred and fifty dollars. A world class ride cymbal that fits many styles and will last years and years. Costs 400 brand, new do- brand new brand new. I was four hundred
1: dollars. I was gonna go a little less than that. I was gonna say three twenty
2: five. Three twenty-five. And a snare drum that's gonna be hit multiple times every Sunday.
0: Three hundred fifty bucks. Yeah, three hundred
2: and fifty yeah. dollars for a snare drum. Yeah.
1: Well, absolutely. we're think we're thinking of the exact same drum too. I bet.
2: But my uncle Jimmy has seventy five dollars <laughs> snare. I mean, is a snare not a snare?
0: No, it's not. All right. Well, that's is beautiful. a you go a Mercedes? <laughs> no. <sighs> or you know, do you want to buy that off brand television, or do you want to get this Sony here that's going to last you ten years and? Work amazing. It's the same mindset, no matter what. But it's good. So and, I mean, you yeah. could spend fifteen hundred dollars on a snare drum. Sure. I'm telling you, three hundred fifty.
2: Yeah. So you so know, yeah, I mean, there are some ways around it. Like John was saying, you could find an expert, find a drum reseller. Like he's buying and selling stuff all the time. Uh, he's hip to all the styles. He's the perfect guy that could help you figure it out. If if you don't have that, you don't have the time for that. Then yeah, you could do something like call Sweetwater and ask for a representative. You know, they give you one salesman and you kind of, you know, that that's closer to a, you know, getting somebody that might go to bat for you and help you um, or, you know, start phone calls, see if you can find the John Chaldon of your city. There I think probably is, is one. You
0: know? I think you're nailing it right on the head from the get-go though, with budget. Yeah, I have to have a budget. I will blow your mind if you give me a budget, I'll bring in way more than could be expected, yeah. given a little bit of time yeah. and a budget. That that's the biggest issue that people lose sight of. They they if they're opening up the guitar center website and there's like seven ninety five, yeah. you know. All included. Well, you know, that looks good to them, but they'd have no idea that's yeah. just junk. That stuff so.
2: breaks and it doesn't attract guys like this. True. You know? So as a musician, here, here's my dream as a worship leader, I wanna attract world-class musicians. I wanna attract them that I would pay them, but man, I'd like to attract, and I have attracted world-class musicians that just come serve at the church. They work as working musicians, but then on their week off, they play at the church, because they like playing. Nice. When they sit down at the kit, it's a killer kit. It might be one of the best kits they're at. And it just sounds good. It feels good. So churches, I think, having a great drum set that inspires, like tons of churches are looking for drummers. They need more drummers in a volunteer world. Having a killer drum set that's just well-crafted, well-taken care of, that sounds amazing, will attract drummers. (laughs) They will want to play. Younger drummers will want to get on that kit because that's going to be the best kit in their lives.
0: I promise you in our circle of 25 pro drummers, Every one of them knows who has that, yeah, yeah, and yeah. who doesn't.
2: The reputation,
0: and of who the doesn't, yeah. yeah. There's no doubt.
2: That's good. Thanks, fellas. That was helpful.
1: Man, our pleasure. Thank you, man. I'm telling you, this has been a great show.
0: I agree. Well, I, I want to put a button on it. it. I think if you if you are are looking into getting into church world, and it's a, you know, it's becoming more and more common. All that. Um, we spoke of it earlier, but I, you have to keep in mind, I think it's best for people who aren't, you know, well-versed in it, keeping in mind that that environment, man, it, it's, it, mm-hmm. do not put lofty expectations or unrealistic expectations on it by way of, you know, oh, well, it's the church. They're going to treat me like gold, and it's going to be fair. And they're going to be honest. No, look, it, it's still, man, church is people. People. People fail. People don't communicate well. People can be cranky. It's still a business. Keep all of that in mind and be realistic about it. And bring your A game. And in turn, you know, you hope that they have that too. But you know, like, just be aware of if you're new to this. Just just be realistic about everything, man. It's still you need to show up on time. Take care of all of your business. You hope they do too. But things could be you know could go south on occasion don't don't get wrapped up in things to the point where you're not looking at things realistically too i think it's important that a lot of people have been burned by not burned by the fact that someone dropped the ball but their expectations were so high Mm -hmm. that maybe that and i in a perfect world i'd love to hold the church to higher standards and oftentimes i do but just be aware that man that we're still people here and it's still, you know, these things are going to – sometimes you could be disappointed. Don't let that define this avenue or this opportunity for you to the point where it, it ruins it for you as well, you know. Be flexible just like anything, a wedding gig or a rock and roll gig or you're playing at a club where the sound check wasn't at 6 o'clock like it was supposed to be. Just be cool, you know. it, it It's still people. Be the best person you can be, and hopefully that will in turn be gifted you in this too. Amen.
1: Mike, again, thank you so much, man. We really appreciate it. I I feel like this is going to be an incredibly enlightening show for the audience. I really do. I think it's going to be awesome.
0: And listen, man, if you guys are in an environment that maybe isn't altogether where you think it could be, maybe Mike's a good guy to reach out to. Because he is, his goal is to help churches get in a better place musically, and man, when that happens, great things happen beyond the music. You know, you start Truth. bringing in people, and you're reaching people and engaging them in worship. Great things come from that. So, I encourage you to check out Mike and uh, and his uh, his business now of enabling churches t h e m i k e o t h e m i k e o.com don't be afraid to look him up man he can maybe he can help you find that extra gear that your environment needs
1: mm. right on all right thanks, guys Sean. thanks guys we'll see you next week
0: appreciate you thanks mike
1: All right, that's going to do it for this week's show. But before we get out of here, we have a couple of announcements we want to get out there. First, major, major thanks to the wonderful Mike O'Brien. What a great guest. I mean, it's just a joy having this guy uh, over here and imparting the knowledge and the special insight that he has. Um, As you heard at the beginning of the show, Mike is one of our own power listeners. He listens to every show, and he took it upon himself to reach out to us and suggest this topic, and we are just forever grateful for him doing this because we have so many friends, and I'm sure there are so many musicians out there that are either curious about what it's like serving in a church or possibly have always wanted to do it and just never really knew how to approach it. Well, maybe this show will help you out a little bit because... Like we said, Mike's been on all ends of this. He knows the inner workings of the church world, and so hopefully you got some information that'll help you with your decisions and at least give you some ideas on where to start. So thanks to Mike. Now, part two of this announcement also deals with Mike. And want to extend another thanks to him for an idea that he gave us. As we finished up the show and as he was leaving, he said, hey guys, I have a sponsorship with a company that would love to do a giveaway for your listeners. And so we said, well, we're all ears for that. And he said, why don't you contact the good folks out at Monk Drums and see if they would be interested in working with us. And I said, I will certainly do that. And Jacob and the guys out at Monk were more than happy uh, to be a part of our next giveaway, which we're announcing now. So, as soon as you guys hear my voice telling you about this contest, you can go over to iTunes, go to our webpage on iTunes, the Drummer's Weekly Groovecast page, and leave us a short written review, and you will be in the running to win one of two prizes from Monk Drums. Monk Drums make high-end cajons, and other hand percussion instruments. And what we're giving away is we're giving away as first prize one of their Monk Drums. It is a freestanding cajon that you play basically like you would a standing uh, conga. So go over to MonkDrums.com and you can get a better idea of what these things are like and, and just how great they sound. And then we will be doing a second prize also. Second prize is a pair of Monk drum bongos. And so, again, they are built out of wood, much like a small cajon, but they have two playing services for uh, a bongo-type sound, where you have the the high uh, macho and the low embra sound. So make sure you go by MonkDrums.com. Get a look at the different products they have there. Look at the... 10 inch monk drum, the freestanding cajon, and then the monk bongos, and those are the two prizes that will be given away. Now, you're probably asking yourself, okay, I'm going to go to iTunes, I'm going to leave you guys a nice review. All right, when is this thing going to happen? Well, I'm going to tell you when it's going to happen. We are coming up on our one year anniversary, that is correct. We're coming up on 52 shows, and on that 52nd show, we are going to announce. who our winners are of the Monk Drums giveaway. Uh, we will do also a Facebook Live drawing, so you can see it live as well as hear it when we announce it on show 52. So there you go. Go to MonkDrums.com, check out those drums. Great sounding, great looking drums. And then go by iTunes, go to the Drummer's Weekly Groovecast page inside of there, And then make sure you leave us a short written review and you will be registered. If if you've already left a review, you are already registered. So, bully for you. All right, before we get out of here, you can always contact us by uh, emailing us at our Gmail account. It's drummersweeklygroovecast at gmail.com. You can also interact with us at Facebook, facebook.com forward slash drummersweeklygroovecast. And follow us and tweet us at our Twitter account at... DW Groovecast or Twitter.com forward slash DW Groovecast. All right, on behalf of John and Mike O'Brien, this is Phil signing off. We'll see you next Monday with a brand new show. Bye bye.